You're listening to Women Making Waves. Hannah Deacon hit the headlines because of her relentless campaign to legalise medicinal cannabis, driven by the fact that her son Alfie has a rare condition which escalated to cause up to 30 seizures a day. Now, rather than sitting back and accepting the treatment which was available, Hannah recognised that it was inadequate and even dangerous and so has researched, travelled abroad and relentlessly campaigned to get the UK government to change their policy on the use of medical cannabis. Hannah Deacon speaks to Linda Ness. I look back now and I think the warning signs were possibly there, but I was a first-time mum and I never listened to me. And I think that's a big lesson I've learned, is always listen to you when you're a mother. It was only about four months old that he became very unwell a lot. He had lots of illnesses, lots of viruses, lots of sickness bugs. So really nothing sort of highlighted it to me that there was anything other than he was just quite ill all the time. And then at six months old he had a persistent cough, which never went away. And then at eight months old, he had his first seizure. And that must have been horrible, that first seizure. That must have been terrible. It was horrendous. Looking back now, he was starting the cluster during the day. He was having absences and we didn't realise that he... I put him outside in the garden. I remember it, 27th of May, 2012. Never forget that day. He was in the garden in a little um, travel cot with his toys and he suddenly just fell backwards. I just noticed it and I thought, that's really strange. But again... If I'd have known the catastrophic thing that was going to happen that night, I'd have taken him straight to A&E, but I didn't. I just thought, that's a bit strange. About midnight, I was woken by a scream, a very, very sort of rabid scream, and I ran to him, and he was having a huge tonic-clonic seizure, the whole body shaking, throffing at the mouth. He was eight months old, obviously, so he's a tiny little baby. I picked him out. He was on fire. He was burning up. It was the, it was just the most frightening thing I've ever seen in my life. And we just put him in the car and took him straight to A&E. And within a couple of hours, it was very apparent that it wasn't a febrile seizure. He was very seriously ill. He was having two to three minute tonic-clonic seizures every 20 minutes to half an hour. And in the end, he was transferred to intensive care in Stoke. And we ended up in hospital for nearly four months. He was still seizing. They kept taking life support, on life support, off life support. He was just having seizures going in and out of children's ward into the intensive care unit. It was the most horrendous, frightening thing that I have ever experienced. They, at one point, had to put a central line in his neck while he was awake because they couldn't get lines into him and I had to watch him... It goes against every part of your body as a mother to watch your baby go through what I've seen him go through. And Mm -hmm. I think that I will be traumatised for the rest of my life because Mm -hmm. of what I've seen my little boy go through. I hope that he doesn't remember it. So in the end, I actually was following my gut and I just thought, this is wrong. This is just not happening. He'd been seizing at that point for over two weeks. I went to the um, boss of in the intensive care unit and I just said, you need to move us. You need to move us somewhere where there's a neurologist. In the end, we got transferred to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Great Ormond Street Hospital were amazing. They did every test again. What they felt was a massive immune response, which correlated with the fact that he'd been very unwell for months beforehand. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're going to give him intravenous steroids and, and they took us into this room and they said, if it doesn't work, he probably will die. And that was just... so tough. Oh, it was shocking. And the steroids did work, thank God. You know, they worked and they worked very quickly and that's when they diagnosed him with immune-responsive epilepsy. 
so we got transferred back to our local hospital and basically we just had to rehabilitate Alfie, you know, teach him all his skills again, wean him off all, he was on morphine, clonidine, loads of anti-epileptics, obviously none of it worked, so we had to wean him off all of that. Watching if our eight-month-old baby go through cold turkey is pretty horrific. It was just, honestly, so harrowing, but actually only just the beginning. He basically had clusters then every eight months. It was cyclical in nature. It was weird. It was like, you know, we weaned him off all the drugs. He remained on a low dose of antiepileptic and a low dose of steroids under the advice of our neurologist who was now at Birmingham Children's. We transferred back to Birmingham Children's. We did start to wean it and then it happened again. And he said, the doctor said, oh, it's because you've weaned the drugs. But it was eight months later, pretty much to the day. And then it happened every eight months until he was four. And then it started to happen every three weeks. And it just went bang every three weeks. And so we were in hospital once or twice a month. He was having up to five doses of intravenous steroids every time. He was having really aggressive clusters. And then when he was five, he got diagnosed with a condition called PCDH19, which is a genetic disorder. We actually got a phone call on Christmas Eve when we knew he wouldn't be in hospital, so we were going to try and have a nice Christmas. And we got a phone call on Christmas Eve at 1.30 on Christmas Eve. I'll never forget it from his neurologist saying, we found what's wrong with Alfie. Great Ormond Street have done this genetic test and he's got PCDH19. And he said, with age, we hope he'll get better. But other than that, there's no, there's no treatment for it. I still, to this day, do not know why we had a phone call on Christmas Eve. If he'd phoned me and said, there's a tablet and it will go away, then I'd have kissed him but the mm. fact is is that he was telling me that my child would have to live like this forever we were always told that if it was immune responsive epilepsy it was likely he'd grow out of it and drew and i were obviously devastated and we had to spend the whole of christmas day pretending we didn't know because we didn't want to upset our family mm-hmm. and then we told them on boxing day and it was again another horrendously traumatic experience that could have been avoided by people thinking about how they might deal with things better we you know, carried on as we were. And then at five, when Alfie turned five, his seizures started to come every four to seven days. So at that point, he was having up to 25 to 30 doses of steroids a month. And every time we took him into A&E, the doctors were like, this protocol of giving him intravenous steroids is highly dangerous. But they did it because that was the protocol from the doctor. It was the only thing that worked. He is steroid responsive. Absolutely nothing else will work with his seizures. So then I thought, well, why do steroids work? Well, what do they do? They work in two ways. They either suppress your immune system or they reduce the myelin inflammation in your brain. Every time Abby had a cluster, he was always trying to be ill. That's what I felt. He was always either trying to cough or trying to have a runny nose or trying to have a temperature every time. And obviously the presentation before he had his seizures. I was putting all that together in my head. I may be wrongly, but as a mum, I was desperate. I thought, right, okay, we need to find something that is the same as steroids. We need to find something that isn't going to kill him, that will work. And I just started to do research and I joined the PCDH19 support group, which is in America, where in 29 states medical cannabis is available for use um, under prescription and sometimes without prescription in dispensaries and things. And I spoke to people and I just said, you know, do you use medical cannabis? And I met this one woman called Emily, whose daughter was the same as Alfie. They tried all the drugs, the ketogenic diet. We tried the ketogenic diet with Alfie, it didn't do anything. Her daughter had been seizure-free for nearly a year on medical cannabis with, and they'd reduced all her drugs to a very small amount. 
And I just thought that's what I want. And I learned about the endocannabinoid system. I learned about all the different sorts of cannabis. I just felt like I needed to do something because I thought if he dies, I will never forgive myself that I have not done something mm -hmm. to try and fight for him. In the January 2017, I actually went on this morning to talk about my desire to use cannabis with Alfie, and we got loads of really lovely comments, loads of support, and I thought, right, okay, I've got support here. You know, I'm not mm. mad. I'm not mm. doing the wrong thing. This is the right thing to do. So I set up a Facebook page called Alfie's Hope. I just decided to blog about what I wanted to do and let people see what it was like to be a parent of a child that was really ill because I think it's a hidden thing. We do not talk about carers of children, parents who are carers. You know, when you have a baby, you know for the first couple of years, three, four years, you know, it's going to be full on. But you know when they start school, they're going to start being more independent, they're going to make friends. That doesn't happen when you have a child with a disability. It never stops being the baby is. And I just wanted to talk about that. And I just thought, well, how do I do it? I'll, I'll vlog. I'll, I like writing, but I'm not great at writing. So I thought, I'm good at talking. I'll do that. So I created the Facebook page. Then we went to see the neurologist at Birmingham Children's. I talked to him about medical cannabis. And he said to me, if you talk to me again about that, they'll report you to social services. What? Yeah. And I said, OK, I'm not telling you I'm going to grow a plant in my garage and give it to my child. I'm telling you can we talk about this treatment for my son? He's in hospital every week with seizures. And that was what he said to me. He said to me there was a drug called Epidiolex coming out, made by a company called GW Pharmaceuticals, which was an isolated CBD-only drug, because, again, it has to be a single compound to do double-blind placebo trials on. So I said, OK, fine, can you apply to that for us on compassionate grounds? But, but they'd done a trial on two epilepsy conditions called DRAVE and LGS, which is Leonard Gastro Syndrome. So we got a response from GW Pharmaceuticals saying that Alfie didn't fit the criteria. And then we went to see our local paediatrician, who's absolutely amazing guy. I said to him, I can't work with this guy anymore at Birmingham Children's Hospital. He's just blocking everything I want to do I can't talk to him I don't feel cared for I don't feel looked after I don't feel my son is I feel like we just go in every few months and he says carry on as you are and I said he will die if we don't if we do this and he said yeah I quite agree with you it's not good enough so he actually referred us to a different doctor at Oxford John Radcliffe who I am absolutely so grateful to because he treated me like a human being, treated me like an equal. We had a long meeting in his room and he just said, if you carry on giving Alfie this amount of steroids or he has this amount of seizures, he will die or become psychotic because he said the long-term use of steroids will damage his brain so badly he will have psychosis. So at that point, I plucked up the courage and I said, look, doctor, I have done loads of research into medical cannabis, full extract cannabis oil. He said, well, there is Epidiolex, but that's not full extract, that's CBD. He applied again for a trial for Epidiolex and it was refused. It was He said he actually phoned them and they refused it. So that was that. And I said to him, well, if that's refused, what about me taking him to Holland for treatment? And he's, his words were to me, you have no choice. And I will be, I'm grateful to him forever because if he hadn't have told me to go, I wouldn't have gone. I never wanted to do anything illegal and I never wanted to be irresponsible. You know, even though I wanted to save my son's life, I always wanted to be responsible. We'd already been to see our, our MP who had supported it as well as long as we went to a paediatric neurologist. But when I talked to him about medical cannabis, it was really funny. I will never forget it. He said, but you're just his mum. You're not a doctor. 
you know, because I was saying medical cannabis could work for him. He said, yeah, but you're not a doctor. And I said, yeah, but there's no doctors in this country that know about it. So actually, I know more about it. Um, but yeah, this doctor was like, yes, absolutely. Go to Holland as long as you see a pediatric neurologist. And I told him the hospital I wanted to go to, the neurologist I wanted to see. And he said, yeah. And we went to Holland on the 14th of September 2017. Were you there for a long time? We were there for five months. You actually on a, moved on there own. then, effectively. Yeah. We lived in a, an, in a holiday park for five months, <laughs> which was not fun. It wasn't a holiday by any stretch of imagination, mm-hmm. but a holiday park was the cheapest place. I mean, the Hague, where we went, is absolutely beautiful, but it's extremely expensive, and obviously the pound's very weak. Between January 2017 and September 2017, through our Alfie's Hope Facebook page, we actually had a Just Giving site as well, and we'd raised um, about £20,000 to go to Holland as well. We also raised some other money from family and friends, so we had about 30000 at our disposal, and we actually spent it all, because <laughs> five months there, we had to, part, half of the money went on his medication, because mm-hmm. we had to obviously pay for all his other medication and his cannabis oil while we were there. Yeah, he started on full extract CBD oil. We did that for three months and his seizures just started to stretch out. I mean, it didn't work for the first five weeks, which was really difficult. And I remember leaving the hospital. I literally pulled to the side of the road. I sat and I cried and I screamed and I literally, I know it sounds weird, but I just said to the universe, I said, please help me. Please help me. My son will die. Please help me. And I know that sounds a bit crazy, but I absolutely believe in that. I believe that sometimes when you do things like that, just something happens. And maybe it was just a coincidence again, but it was a a great outpouring of emotion. And within the next week, he started to really do well and his seizures started to ebb away. And it was probably just a comforting thing for me to feel like that you know the universe was sort of helping me but it just was a really sort of poignant moment that I'll never forget and then after three months we introduced a very low dose of THC so we use a pure THC called Bedica and he's on three milligrams a day of that and then his seizure stopped completely Alfie was doing very well and then we had to come home because we ran out of money so we had to take Alfie off the oil and it made him very ill We're not allowed to bring the THC into the UK, so we took him off the THC. He ended up in hospital again every 10 days. What we did is we kept him on a CBD, which did help him, and we upped that quite high, and that did help him. He still had seizures, but he wasn't in hospital as much, and, and that really is the only way we could fight the campaign, because by making him more stable... I mean, the way the campaign worked, actually, is that we we got in contact with Molly Meacher, Baroness Molly Meacher, who's an amazing woman. She was brilliant, really, really supportive because she's been campaigning on cannabis legislation for years before me. She put us in touch with a man called Peter Carroll, who's uh, the director of a campaign group called End Our Pain. And he came to see us and he said, look, you know, we can help you with this campaign because... I knew I had to campaign and I knew I had to get the government to do what I wanted, but I had no idea how I was going to do that. And I needed someone who had lots of media contacts and was good with strategy. And I'm just Alfie's mum, you know. I don't... So I went, met him. He's an absolutely wonderful guy and we owe so much to him. We were very lucky as well, as I say, serendipity. Our, our MP at the time was the Attorney General. <laughs> So that was helpful. So obviously he had a lot of influence because he's the lawyer of the Conservative Party. So we were, that was wonderful. So we had a meeting with the policing minister, Nick Hurd, 
and all his obviously his officials the law the lawyers and the the head of the drugs legislation side and we went and met with them and they said and you'll laugh at this they said oh you can have epidiolics <laughs> and i thought oh that's funny how funny that is we can have epidiolics now we couldn't have epidiolics before but now we can have epidiolics you're desperate for us to have epidiolics I don't think they counted on me going to Holland with my child. And I suppose then, at that point, they were like, oh, and I said, but epidiolics isn't the same. Epidiolics is an isolated cannabinoid. It's CBD only. It's not going to work like this because I've proved that full extract cannabis works really well. I'm not going backwards. Mm. But it just makes me laugh how you can't have something. And then when you start to ruffle feathers, you can have everything. You know, I thought they could have presented it to me on a golden platter. They're (laughs) desperate for me to have it. So they said, okay, well, if you're not going to accept that, then we could think about doing a trial for extract cannabis oil trial with Alfie. We went away and talked to our doctors, and our doctors said, you can't do a trial with one person who's already on the tri- on the medication. You haven't got a placebo. It just it doesn't work. So we went back to them, and we said, no, that's not going to work. You know, this is a Schedule One drug. We want to apply for a license as a pharmaceutical company does for research. We want our doctors to be able to do that. So they said, okay, and went away and thought about it. Also, we we our change.org petition was building a lots of momentum because I'd been doing some media. I'd went on BBC Breakfast. Our petition was building. End our pain then created a day for us where MPs were going to come and talk to us in London about it. So that was the end of March. And we had loads, over 150 MPs and Lords came, which is unprecedented. They End our pain said, you know, that, that's really good talk to us about Alfie we took Alfie with us but he wasn't in a very good place because he'd just come out of a cluster so he didn't cope very well with it but we did take him I haven't really took him to anything else since because I actually don't think it's appropriate having seen him in that space mm-hmm. it, he didn't cope with it and I just think actually that's not fair it's not fair on him he's no. a little boy and that day also we walked to number 10 Downing Street and gave in our petition Drew Alfie, Annie, my daughter and me went to the front door, knocked on the door and we were let in, which I couldn't believe because that's unheard of. You know, they give petitions every day. Were they expecting you? Uh, Did they know you were coming? I think so. I think so. We have a very, very wonderful man called Sir Mike Penning who supports us and he is a Conservative MP, but he's extremely supportive of Alfie's campaign and a wonderful man. And um, I believe that he ensured that we got into the number 10. So we're very, very grateful to him for all his hard work on behalf of Alfie as well. So we went in and we met Sir Mike Penning, Nick Hurd, the policing minister, who actually I've got a great deal of respect for because he was in a very difficult position. And, and when I've met him since, he's you know been lovely to me. Maybe he's like that to everyone. Him, our MP, Jeremy Wright, and we were sat down having coffee, talking about how we might do this license and then the door opens and the prime minister walks in wow which we didn't think was going to happen at all and i i stood up i can't remember what i said I think, hello prime minister because I, I was just <laughs> absolutely like oh didn't know this was going to happen i wasn't prepared and she came over and to be fair to her she was actually it was brief because it was when the russian thing was going on all the problems with russia so they'd just come out of a, a cabinet meeting and we were walking upstairs and i saw boris johnson walking out and amber rudd and was, you know it was quite crazy to be in number 10 and see all these people so anyway, she walked in and she said, I'm very busy, but I just wanted to come and say hello and meet Alfie and everything. And, and she said, can you just tell me a bit more about your story? And I told her about Alfie. 
And she said, well, we'd like to help you within the law. She said, you can apply for a licence under compassionate grounds and we'll make it as speedy as possible. And I just was like, well, thank you very much. You know, that's what we wanted. That's what we wanted to hear. Mm. So that was great that she did that. She left and we came outside and obviously did a few interviews to talk about what was, was said. So that was wonderful. We went away then. Then our doctor, our paediatric neurologist, unfortunately, he had to go on compassionate leave. He's had a family bereavement. And we had another doctor who was quite on the shelf about whether Alfie should have this medicine. But, you know, there was no denying that he'd gone from having 400 seizures a month to none. That's evidence you can't sort of mess around with. So he said, OK, we'll apply for the licence and I'll prescribe. And then he was blocked, unfortunately, by his hospital trust, even though the government had said that he could do it. The hospital trust said that Alfie still had to have epidiolex, which even though I presented evidence to show that epidiolex was nothing like bedrolite, they still wouldn't accept it. So that's something that we still have ongoing with them as a complaint because it's absolutely ridiculous. Before our doctors went off on compassionate leave, he actually also tried to prescribe for us because we had a meeting while we were in Holland and he was blocked as well. And he was told that if he did prescribe for us, he'd be breaching GMC rules and he'd be sacked. Actually, we know that's not true uh, because we had Lord O'Shaughnessy ask a, um, a question about it in the Lords and any doctor can prescribe anything off-label, unlicensed as a special if they believe and they can prove with evidence that it's the right thing to do. And you have the evidence. And we have the evidence. Yeah. It's not done to costs. It wouldn't be a cost thing from the hospital trust. Not when our local hospital trust would have to pay for it and Alfie was costing the local hospital trust nearly £200,000 a year going to hospital every week. <laughs> He's now saving them £170,000 a year by not being in hospital. So, mm-hmm. no, I think it was a negligence issue. I think it was fear again. Um, I think it was lots of stuff, but not what was in the best interest of Alfie. We then had to find a group of doctors who were willing to help us. So we went off and and we were very lucky. Our GP was brilliant and said, I can see all this money we're saving more than... You know, obviously it's great that Alfie was well, but, you know, GPs are very stretched Mm. with their their budgets. And he was like, this is crazy. It has to be prescribed, you know. And then we met a wonderful man called Professor Mike Barnes through End Our Pain. He is a neurologist and a specialist in brain injury, but also the leading cannabis-based medicines expert in the country, in the UK. Professor Mike Barnes said to us, yeah, I'll help you. And when we met Nick Hurd, the police minister, he said, I don't mind who does it. We just need a doctor to do it. As I say, he was sort of desperate to help us. He was convinced by what we were saying to him. Mm-hmm. He just wanted a doctor to do it. He even said our GP could do it. You know, he, he just said anyone can apply for the licence. We just need a doctor. So we got together a group of doctors, Professor Mike Barnes, our GP, and also two other paediatric neurologists who weren't going to be prescribing, but they were going to provide governance, which was great. We then started the application and it, we were in four months in and we were, they were still saying, you've got to do this. You know, the, le- the legislation people were still providing us with all this extra... I mean, I remember Molly Meach saying to me, it's like you're trying to import plutonium because <laughs> it was just madness, you know, madness. But we were like, OK, we'll play the game. We just want to get this licence. In the end, I had enough, basically. Um, our MP, again, as I said, Jeremy Wright, amazing man, the Attorney General at the time, 
organised a meeting in his office in Parliament with all the people from the Home Office and our doctors and us trying to get this resolved because I think he'd had enough of it then by then. It's four months in, this is ridiculous. So this was June. He basically went through the list of problems and agreed them all, which was great. That's what we needed. They then said, "Okay, fine, we resolved everything. We went away and then they phoned me up. Someone from the Home Office phoned me up and said, oh, no, there's just... And I just went, no, I'm done. I just went absolutely mental at this guy. And I've always tried to be very respectful. It's one thing I'm really proud of is that when people talk about our campaign, they will say that I was dignified and polite. And I I like to think that the way you achieve things is by working with people. But at that point, I just thought, I'm done. I've had enough. (laughs) That was on the Monday. And the next morning, I was on the Today programme with John Humphreys just to talk about my meeting with Theresa May, which happened. She looked me in the eye and she said to me, you can have a licence application and it will be speedy and it will be compassionate well it wasn't compassionate it wasn't speedy so anyway I went on that radio show it was a great interview John Humphreys was absolutely amazing to me because I know some people have said he can be quite frightening but he's absolutely amazing and he put his arms around me and he hugged me and he said if there's anything I can do for you I'm here and I thought wow that's great you know um, I did loads of other interviews that morning because obviously the phone just went mental because I'd done this interview about... Because because that's the other thing as well. We'd agreed with the Home Office to be media silent so the whole four months we had not done any media. Mm. Because, again, I wanted to be respectful of them. They said, if you if you don't badger us, we'll do the right thing. Fine. But at that point, I just thought, no, you're playing me a bit here because I'm being quite respectful and you're not doing what you've said. So I've had enough. And then I got a phone call from Nick Hurd and he said to me, Alpha's licence will be issued today and we're really sorry and you've done amazing work and thank you very much. So again, I, I was a bit frightened when he phoned me. I thought he's going to shout at me. And, and, and the Peter from NDRP said, he's not going to shout at you because if he does, you'll tell the papers. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so were there a lot of it's old flannel, but I like to think that actually the stuff he said to me, he was sincere and I've met him since and he's been very lovely to me. So... Um, and he did say, he said, I'm sorry it's taking so long, it it, we, it shouldn't have, but you have to understand we've never done this before and we're worried about it, you know. And it, they're human beings at the end of the day and they're mm-hmm. working within the law, aren't they? And they weren't going to change the law at that point. So I went onto the news and obviously I did know, but... I couldn't say that I knew when I was being interviewed. So I was interviewed on ITV and they told me actually because the Home Secretary announced it 15 minutes earlier than we thought. So I was actually live on air when he announced it in the (laughs) Parliament and she actually told me and that was amazing to be live on air when that happened. But he announced that day that Alfie would have his licence. So Alfie received the first licence in the UK for medical cannabis, but also that there would be a review into the use of of cannabis-based medicines. And within two weeks, the Chief Medical Officer, Dame Sally Davis, had done a report to say that, yes, there was evidence to say that medical cannabis could be used for various symptoms and pain from chemotherapy and uh, MS and epilepsy and things like that. So... You know, that was really good. And then the ACMD had to do a review and obviously other, you know, bodies were doing reviews and it was all really, really positive. And then the Home Secretary obviously announced on the 1st of November that the law would change and that medical cannabis would be moved to a Schedule 2, including THC, which meant that doctors can prescribe it legally without a licence under what's called a specials um, because it's not licensed. Obviously, the 1st of November, I was just like, this is brilliant. You know, we've gone from a position where we were trying to save my son's life to 
a position where we could save many lives mm-hmm. and give people, families, better lives. You know, that's my passion. And I, I know I probably shouldn't focus completely on childhood epilepsy, but I know what it's like to be the mother of a very severe epileptic. Yes, I don't know what experience. it's like to have MS. I don't yeah. know what it's like to have Parkinson's. So, you know, whilst everyone should have it who needs it, that's my focus. And at that time, I'd been asked to be, and I'm now an ambassador for Endar Pain, the campaign group. So I've been working a lot with families, supporting them, helping them to lobby their MPs, helping them to talk to their doctors. So the law was changed on the 1st of November. But unfortunately, Peter said to me, actually, which is a great analogy, he said the Home Office had a crystal vase and the Home Secretary showed great leadership and was very good at this. And I thought, you know, he really dealt with it very well. He saw a need and he dealt with it. You know, that was it. It was like he passed a crystal vase to the Department of Health and they smashed it on the floor because literally the guidelines that they've issued are so restrictive that there's no doctor at the moment that we know of in this country that feels happy to prescribe. So we've gone to a point where we've had this great elation, we've changed the law and families are so excited. You know, there's some families out there, the children have tried 10, 15 different drugs, had brain surgery, still having seizures every day. Great hope, great joy, this is amazing stopped all stopped because the guidelines basically say that this has to be a medicine of last resort so there's over 20 anti-epileptics are you saying that a child of three years old has to try 20 anti-epileptics which takes a long long time take years are you saying that they need brain surgery before you know it's medical cannabis as i said has such low side effect profile that this is just i'm not saying it should be the first drug but it could be the third it doesn't have to be the the end it doesn't have to be the end So that's very frustrating, but also there's not enough assurances that people are safe. So we've had one family that doctor did actually prescribe and then they withdrew it because they felt really worried about doing it because they were worried the GMC would, you know, have them hauled up and they'd get sacked. That's why I'm carrying on campaigning as I am for End Our Pain and for all the families I work with. And we've got a particular petition as well, which now has nearly 500,000 signatures that talks about the way families are affected and the fact that we want the NHS just to relax the guidance a little bit and give doctors the confidence to prescribe. Because I do know there's lots of doctors in this country that want to prescribe, but they're frightened. Mm -hmm. My little boy is safe. He has his prescription. He will never be without his medicine. But there's a lot of work to be done still. I have to say, the interview ran for over an hour and she was absolutely fascinating from start to finish. And I've had to lose so much of this. So we're going to put the full interview onto our website because if you are interested in this topic and you're interested in hearing more from Hannah, I had to lose so much good stuff that it was it was soul-destroying. So I really, really urge people to look at our website, um, womenmakingwaves.co.uk and look at the full interview. 